So Joe Biden is now bending over backwards, as expected, to uh, appease Beijing and Xi Jinping. It would seem that the Biden administration is planning to ease visa restrictions. Political is reporting, political magazine, political website, political news organization. Uh, the two leaders, the Xi Jinping and, of course, President Biden, or otherwise known as Xi's little boy, the two leaders are likely to announce an easing of visa restrictions between the two countries so that it's easier to send the bribe money over. Now, I did not identify who said that. Uh, no, maybe they weren't talking about bribe money. After all, there's ways to do it on Bitcoin. Z and Biden uh, have yet to agree for a framework on reducing trade tensions that erupted during the Trump administration. The uh, news website Politico said that Biden was likely to seek more talks between climate envoys, of course, China being the world's number one user of coal to generate power, creating one of the biggest problems as far as global warming is concerned in, of course, the People's Republic. In July of 2020, Washington told China to shut down its consulate in Houston and also to stop sending apps with dual purpose uses such as TikTok and other communications apps that essentially allow the Chinese government to listen into every communication that is happening beyond what is allowed in the uh, courts of law in the United States. Of course, there's a certain amount of privacy that's protected and speech that is protected in the United States being a democracy. Beijing retaliated on that order uh, with U.S. diplomatic facilities and the southern city of Chengdu was closed in response to the shutdown of the one in Houston, which uh, had a problem. The Trump administration said its move was necessary because China had directed criminal and covert activities to steal trade secrets and carry out malign influence operations across the U.S. through the evidence of was not widely provided. And in fact, it did provide evidence of the situation. Now, you can look at much of this uh, this topic on the political website. It is there to look at, and of course, you can see it there as well. Now, uh, the um, different websites are also reporting that uh, this is uh, going to be a situation that raises concern, particularly as China is reportedly conducting uh, the use of uh, military uh, practice attacks on naval vessel targets that look very, very much like American aircraft carriers. Hey, you remember uh, in the movie uh, Midway and also in the movie Tora 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 how the Japanese did the same thing? You see, China seems to be wanting to copy exactly what Japan did in World War II. Uh, Japan has uh, the, uh, you know, distinction of being the country that was probably one of the most destroyed after the Second World War uh, because of how it failed to comprehend the actions that they did would lead to their ultimate destruction. China, likewise, perhaps feels that because it's a bigger country, maybe they can do it a little bit better than Japan did. So China has this nine dash line and 10 dash line where it controls all these nations in Southeast Asia going all the way with the 10 dash line out to the Marianas and beyond, uh, almost to Hawaii, in fact. And um, the difference, of course, between Japan and China is China is now using its financial capacity 
to be able to reach that goal that Japan did with the force of arms. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with that thing. Obviously, we hope it does not lead to a war. Um, there could be some method wherein the two sides meet and accommodations are met. But unfortunately, the hawks on both sides seem to be leading in the direction that is constant. Let's listen and hear as to what exactly is going on and uh, how the tensions are rising. First, let's hear from the uh, Pentagon on uh, what exactly they are worried about with the situation. Back to back to that, we will hear about how China is doing practice military missions versus targets that are very much like American bases and aircraft carriers in the Pacific. This is Mike of New York, and we are talking up a storm on U.S.-China relations, how they can be improved, how some hope they will be improved, and how some fear it is leading down a path towards war and destruction. Give it a listen. Here it goes. For you. Um, as USNI first reported, uh, China has apparently built mock-ups of the U.S. aircraft carrier and some other warships to practice bombing runs. Um, how concerned is the Pentagon about this? And does this just another sign of escalation of, you know, potential conflicts that, with China? I'll tell you what we're concerned about, Tara, is the increasing uh, intimidation, coercive behavior uh, of uh, the Chinese military in the Indo-Pacific and uh, uh, also the coercive tactics they are using, uh, even using uh, economic tools uh, around the world uh, to bend other nations uh, to their to their will or or to their their view of what's in their best interest. Uh, we are in uh, full support of a free and uh, open Indo-Pacific. And we're going to continue to work towards that goal with our network of alliances and partnerships. Uh, and again, you've heard the secretary talk about this many times. He holds uh, the PRC as our number one pacing challenge. And what we're focused on, I mean, they, they, I, I haven't seen uh, these images. And they can speak to what, uh, what their bombing runs look like. That's for them to speak to. What I can tell you is we're focused on developing the capabilities, the operational concepts, making sure we have the resources and the right strategy in place so that we can deal with the PRC as the number one pacing challenge. Uh, one follow-up on a separate topic. I mean, but doesn't the Pentagon find it concerning that there's a very active, now visible uh, kind of practicing, again, you know, for a potential future conflict? Or do you treat this as just another, maybe it's their version of a tabletop wargaming? Again, they can speak to their exercises and and what they're training against. Uh, it's been pretty fairly obvious, and we just released a China military report a week ago that I think makes it very clear uh, what our understanding of their intentions are and their capabilities are and, and how they're developing uh, those capabilities and to what ends. Um, and clearly, uh, they have invested a lot in particularly air and maritime capabilities that are designed largely uh, to try to prevent the United States from having access to certain areas in the Indo-Pacific. What we're focused on is that pacing challenge and making sure that we maintain the, the right capabilities and the right operational concepts to meet our security commitments in that part of the world. I want to you on you. Christine. Uh, the Stockholm Security Conference got underway today, and one of the things they're talking about is how the battle space is changing. It's uh, becoming not just a simple battle space, well, it never has been, I guess, but uh, between space, cyberspace, and now also the mind, and it's moving closer to populations in, their, in the thinking, the forward thinking that they're doing in the conference. 
And the question would be, how, how do you prepare for that in terms of training uh, a force uh, looking ahead? Tra tra I'm sorry, preparing for what? Uh, for a battle space that is evolving based on fast-moving technology uh, that combines space, cyberspace, and yeah. uh, mind, and then uh, and moves closer to the, the, the actual population, the urban population. I, look, I, I, without getting, uh, I'm certainly no expert on this, but, but um, I mean, a few months ago, we rolled out JADC2, which is a, a terrific joint concept for, exact, for exactly that, for helping us um, integrate and be more networked when it comes to uh, advanced technologies. And how, do you, and how do you net those together to have the most effect um, in the battle space? And it is a battle space that is much more dynamic than it was before, no question about that. And you've heard the Secretary talk about integrated deterrence. Um, and I would encourage you to go look at some of the things he's written and said about that uh, since he laid that vision out uh, in Hawaii earlier this year. For the secretary, integrated deterrence isn't just about netting technologies together and weaving in advanced technologies, some of them that don't even exist right now. It's about netting the capabilities together, not only of the joint force, but of combined forces, allies and partners, as well as the, the capabilities across our, the U.S. interagency. So, um, we're very much focused on this dynamic, changing battle space and uh, rapidly working very hard uh, to develop the kinds of capabilities and concepts that will allow us to, um, to prevail in, in that dynamic battle space. Okay, thank you. Meanwhile, let's look at something out uh, from the Voice of America. Usually you don't get to hear Voice of America in the United States itself used to be run by the United States Information Service. However, years, a few years ago, I think, uh, useless, as some people used to call it back in the day, or uses, uh, became uh, uh, somewhat defunded uh, because of its long history of fighting and pushing for democratic ideals, exposing, uh, you know, abuses in other countries. Um, particularly on the rights of people and uh, standing up for democracy and freedom. So let's listen to one problem that also interjects with China, and this involves the Uyghurs. And a woman in Canada was trying to get her husband out. Back to back with that, we're going to listen to a report also from Voice of America about the Chinese fishing fleets that are moving throughout the Pacific in far-flung areas, far beyond the reach of many coast guards to be able to defend uh, protected areas. Uh, in the Pacific Islands, they're generally protected by the United States Coast Guard and Australia and other countries because of extremely abusive fishing methods that destroy coral reefs and uh, create conditions that primarily echo or recreate what they've done near the coastal areas of China, which is why their fish fleets have to go so far out, because they destroyed their own environmental ecosystems, and therefore they now push themselves further out. So let's look at the impact they're having in an area that is extremely hypercritical, and this is the Galapagos Islands. Uh, it is a UNESCO protected area, but unfortunately this is not stopping some unscrupulous fishermen from some parts of China from entering the area and conducting blast and cyanide fishing in these rare, pristine waters.
the wife of naturalized Canadian citizen Hussein Jalil says she hasn't seen her husband in 15 years. Jalil, who is Uyghur, is in a Chinese prison for charges related to his support of the rights of the Muslim minority group in northwest China. He was arrested in his wife's native Uzbekistan and deported to the People's Republic. Since 2006, I think, yeah, 2006, which is the arrested him, I haven't seen him, I haven't talked to him. How am I going to have a chance to meet with him? I haven't talked, I haven't seen him since 2006. She and her husband became naturalized Canadian citizens in 2005. She now lives in Burlington, Ontario, where the couple's four sons also reside. One son has a disability. Come on, Mr. Jaleel's wife says her hopes were renewed when China released two Canadian citizens in September, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, at the same time that Canada released Chinese citizen and Huawei executive Ming Wangzhu to the People's Republic. We have seen the proof they, they got deal with China. They brought them home to Canada, to Michael's. So that's my hope, you know. They're going to do more for my husband to bring him home. But experts say that China refuses to recognize Jalil's Canadian citizenship. Citizenship was not a major factor in the September release of the two Michaels. Guy Sanjak was the Canadian ambassador to China from 2012 to 2016 and worked on Jalil's case. The key question is, for us, of course, he is a Canadian citizen, but China... Uh, refuse, uh, has always refused to recognize his uh, citizenship. Uh, they, they, they said that he had acquired this uh, citizenship illegally, uh, despite the fact that, in fact, uh, you know, he followed all uh, due process, uh, met Canadian requirements to uh, get his citizenship. He even renounced his, his uh, Chinese citizenship because he had informed the, uh, the, the, the Chinese embassy. But of course, this is another example of China uh, doing what it, what it wants. St. Jacques and other diplomatic experts call on China to give the Canadians access to Jalil. Amnesty International urges China to return him to Canada. It would certainly be the right thing for China to do. China's standing in Canada has suffered huge harm um, over the imprisonment of the two Michaels, but also over the imprisonment of Mr. Jalil. You, you don't see a story on China these days without mention of Mr. Jalil. And it's going to be an ongoing thorn in China-Canadian relations. Meanwhile, Jalil's wife waits and worries. So where is he? Is he alive or what? That's what, you know, my big concern, big concern. The Chinese embassy has not responded to VOA's request for comment on the case. Laurel Bowman, VOA News, Washington. Walter Borbor lives on the Galapagos Island. A four-generation fisherman, he sees his livelihood threatened by hundreds of Chinese ships casting for squid near Ecuador's Galapagos Marine Reserve. They catch tons of fish on those vessels. Large ships carry countless species, and this is large-scale exploitation. 
Fishing with this many ships is going to cause an irreparable impact. Some endangered species will come extinct. Scientists studying evolution and the impacts of climate change value the isolated Galapagos Islands. Home to some 3,500 species, the islands almost 1,000 miles from South America's Pacific coast are a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve. But just beyond the boundaries of the reserve, Chinese fishing fleets are waiting. As no one knows how much they catch, as there are no observers on board, there is no independent external audit, there is no data. Nobody knows what impact this has or whether it should be restricted or, if it isn't, what will happen. China accounts for more than a third of global fish consumption. With waters overfishing in Asia and demand rising, China's government subsidized fleet, the world's largest, is now fishing off Latin America, Africa and even Hawaii. They have already finished with their resources in their seas, and they are cleaning out the rest of the ocean. They are in international waters and they are legally fishing. Last year, from July 13 to August 13, researchers spotted nearly 300 Chinese vessels near the Galapagos Reserve, going after squid, essential food for full seals and scallop hammerhead sharks. Both are endangered species endemic to the Galapagos. In 2017, authorities caught a Chinese vessel inside the reserve. More than 7,500 death charts filled this hole. Most were hammerheads, but there were endangered silky, treasure, and mako sharks too, all value for Chinese medicinal and culinary use. China's ambassador to Ecuador, Chen Yu, told VOA that his government is acting to protect endangered species. The Chinese government strictly prohibits all boats from fishing for protected and endangered marine species, and it has zero-tolerance policy for undeclared illegal operations by fishing boats. Ecuador has expressed concern about the fleet, but believe international organizations should handle this issue. Ecuador has worked on this topic and raised its concern. We have to work within and with the instruments that international law and current international agencies grant us. Bor Bor worries the scale of Chinese fishing will affect the ocean food chain and the supply of fish resources. On the mainland, for the past two decades, there haven't been enough fish close to shore for the artisanal fishers to catch. I don't want the same thing to happen here in two decades. Jaime Moreno, VOA News, Galapagos Islands.